Hey everybody, Chase Nobles here, founder over at Kush.com. I've got Bill McMahon and Ben Purser here from Sunny River Farms, and uh, good to have you on the show. Hey, great to be here. Great to be. So you've got a family farm operating down there in Oregon. What's that like, Bill? Well, you know, uh, um, uh, we've been on this farm for 60 years, and uh, over the years we've grown uh, all kinds of different animals from sheep, pigs, beef, you name it. And uh, uh, most recently, it's probably mostly been cattle and hay and kind of just barely scraping uh, a living out of that, more a gentleman farm than anything else. And so a couple of my nephews, Ben being one, <laughs> uh, kind of introduced this uh, concept of growing hemp. And um, I've always, um, I've been in the pulp and paper industry most of my life. And so hemp was actually a raw material that we were considering as part of the paper making. And so I started researching it and, and found some pretty interesting things about it. So it kind of piqued my interest. And once I retired and uh, put a business plan together, it was like, man, this is a no brainer. <laughs> right, right. And so Ben, Ben, what was that conversation like with your, with your uncle there to, to start growing hemp on the property? And what's the background? How, how did you, how did you come to the, 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 the idea that this was something that could be good for the family farm? Yeah, I mean, it's a transition, right? And so I've worked on a hemp farm inside Ashland, Oregon before, which is just about 30 miles south of us. Um, they were doing really well over there. Uh, I really like the process of growing hemp. Um, I'm not sure if you've grown it before, but it's a really reactive plant. And so you get to see changes really frequently. Um, and they also just made, you know, a good amount of money over there. And we were doing hay, which is, you know, $8, $10 a bale or so. And it's about uh, I would say not quite as much work, but it's still a very amount of, like uh, a very large amount of work. So we just kind of uh, brought the idea up, kind of went over the figures, see how feasible it would be, how much it would cost, and we came to we came to an agreement about it. Right on. I, I loaded bales of hay as a kid in in East Tennessee, and that is some hard, gross work. You end up so I I have I have allergies too, so that yeah, was like the itchiest job I've ever had in my life. And it's like for my grandma, so you're bailing for free, and it's like, I mean, you right. want to help out as you can. But we wanted to, we wanted to build up the family farm in a sustainable way that we could, you know, go into the future with. And we don't have enough acreage to really do hay on effectively. And so this is a way of, uh, I think, my uncle Bill giving back to the family in a way of, you know, providing jobs for any kids that need it in the family. And so it's been really helpful in like getting everyone on a really good track in life. Right on. That's awesome. And Bill, that's got to be pretty rewarding to be bringing the family back into the fold after spending so many years in the uh, pulp and paper industry. Yeah, um, it's funny because um, I grew up in a, a family business. My, my folks actually ran a cleaning shop. And so I kind of experienced what it was like to be part of a, a family business as a young age and was never ever able to provide that for my family because I was, you know, a professional professional. And so this is really neat getting back into uh, a family business. So tell me a little bit, Bill, about your previous experience and, and how you've taken, you know, what you've learned, because you're, you're a highly educated individual, how you've taken what you've learned and applied it to this business and, you know, kind of going from what is a much larger, you know, established industry into, you know, kind of a smaller startup industry with a lot of growth opportunity. What's, what's, what's that transition been like for you? Um, I'd say, um, it's uh, as as probably uh, most people has experienced the the technical part is always the easy part. <laughs> the people part is a lot harder, and I, I kind of knew that coming in because I've managed people for quite a few years. So 
it's always a challenge to um, uh, kind of meet ex people's expectations and set the uh, what's a expectations to get things done correctly and stuff. But I had a lot of help from my uh, son Scott, who was kind of my operations manager, and he's uh, managed people before as well. So uh, we did this all with our, our family and friends. So you know, uh, sometimes that can be tougher than you think because you're not going to fire your family, right? <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. yeah. And 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 how how do you manage situations like that? Cuz we have a lot of farmers on our in our community and a lot of them are family farms. What what's what's been the biggest thing you've learned about running a business and and managing, you know, the business with families so deeply tied into it? I think you just have to have a very clear business plan and uh get everybody on the same page and get everybody so they understand um everything about the business. So, you know, as a family, we sat down and went through the business plan as a family. So they understood, you know, where the money was coming from, where the expenses were, how much work this was going to be. And, and, um, you know, all along, um, I've shared, you know, where we were financially with the family so they could see it. And, and most of them are, are part owners. So, you know, they've been, um, um, uh, instead of taking wages, they take shares in the company. And so as we sell our product, they get part of the proceeds from that. So, and, and then, you know, we've always, even our, uh, the friends that we hire, we hire people at a family wage job. We pay them 22 bucks an hour to uh, har harvest our product. So, you know, Which is not a, that's not a bad hourly rate for, you know, where y'all are at in Oregon, pretty rural area down there in Apple Valley, right? Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, one thing I'll add to that is, um, just being honest and being able to like uh, creating a framework to where people can accept constructive constructive criticism well because a lot of times you get inside the personal situation with family members and you know you're very close to them you don't want to correct them or something like that and so you have to uh, establish a dynamic in which you can criticize each other and not take it personally I think that was uh, really key to our success at the beginning that was a little bit difficult and after you know a week or two you just have to and once we established right. that, it was it was a lot easier going forward. And that's much harder said than, you know, harder, you know, it's much easier said than done. And and I could imagine that being really hard because when it's family, it's always yeah. personal. Yeah, we can <laughs> say like, let's take it and make it not personal, but it's always personal, right? Like it, especially if, um, if there's something that needs to be done and, and nobody's raising their hand to get it done. And so what's that been like, Ben, from, from that perspective, you know, Bill working through the business plan with the family, has that increased kind of the pressure and accountability to, to execute or, or what's that been like being that deeply involved in the execution of the business plan versus, you know, just coming in and working, you know, an hourly rate wage and, and, you know, not having the responsibility of the, the, the overall success of the company. I think it has to do with a couple of things. It's like the individual person. Some people are extremely conscientious. And so even if they're working for an hour, hourly wage, they're going to give it their all. And those people are the people that you want. Um, and then the other factor I would say that goes into it is motivation. And so like, uh, you know, being able to uh, get in what you get out of it. Like he was saying, a lot of us are part owners and that, you know, we've, we've invested our time in the company instead of taking pay or maybe we say half pay or something like that. And that provides the motivation to the employees that, hey, like, you know, I can make more money the harder I work. The more successful this company is, the, the more successful I can be personally. And so, like, getting the incentive structure right, is, I think, is really important to, to any organization. 
Right on, right on. And Bill, was there any regulatory regulatory hurdles that y'all had to hop through in order to grow down there in, in the in the in the area that you're at? Was it was it a challenge? Because Oregon's, I get mixed reviews on the Oregon regulatory status of you know the 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 ease versus the the, the you know the payoff. Okay, so from um, you know from the Department of Agriculture, you know, getting the permits and stuff wasn't wasn't huge challenge. I'd say the much larger challenge is dealing with local planning and right. development commissions. And, you know, you got to put up a barn, so you need a, a permit. And, and then, I mean, we spent probably three months just trying to get a stupid permit to put up a barn and that kind of, you know, those things wear on you over time. So just the regulatory environment, but as far as, you know, the regulations around him, that actually has been pretty benign. And then right. Oregon has a, uh, you know, the same as most states, you got to be below 0.35 THC on your CBD. And so there's a certification test that goes, you have to go through. And, uh, you know, uh, that was a little nerve wracking. In fact, we spent a lot of time in the beginning selecting the right strands of uh, hemp so that we would meet those criteria. And uh, we made it through it, but I'd say mainly because of uh, the CBG that we do. That was, uh, right. that not to be the, the right strain to grow. And so, Ben, I assume you're doing a lot of the growing yourself, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and how did you think about the genetics that you brought in? And and especially considering that you have so much writing on it being, you know, part owner in the business. Uh, I mean, there's a few different factors in place. Like, the, the like as you know, that the testing regiment, the FDA, I'm, I think it's an FDA uh, the regimen that they use. I don't think it's particular to Oregon, but it's 0 0.3 total THC now, not just Delta 9. Um, and so looking at that, you know, you can't have too many, like, you know, high potency CBD strains. And so that was definitely a factor inside that. So we wanted to get some CBG and then you look at the CBG strains and, you know, they're relatively new. I think the biggest downside of them right now is they have very little like mold resistance. We didn't really see too much pest problems, but we have a lot of natural, uh, like pest killers on our property. Like we have tons of ladybugs just everywhere, which is awesome. Mm. We didn't put them there. <laughs> So and, got lucky. When, you, when you mentioned mold too is is apple valley does it have a pretty high moisture you know in in western washington where we are up here in seattle it would be very hard to grow outdoors and mm -hmm. i know the climate's a little bit different there and so you know you guys are in southwestern oregon right uh something like south central yeah south central exactly. yeah very What's dry, the, very dry, dry. back you know we typically will go a month month and a half without any rain yeah, this area is pretty much ideal as far as growing goes, like very little rain until pretty much, I don't think we had our first like rain until, well, we had like some sprinkles, but like the bigger one to worry about was like late October was our first like rain. Maybe we might have had right. some sprinkles before then, but like, I think that's why so many people kind of centralize inside Northern California and Southern Oregon is because the climate is just so perfect. I think mainly because of that uh, low moisture content during, during harvest time. But I mean, CBG, just because of the load mold resistant, you're still gonna have to be very, very vigilant of that and try to you know, keep your microbiome healthy so that your plant has a good immune system to fight off any of those infections. Right on. And when it comes to the products that you're, you're producing here, this year was kind of the experiment year, right, Bill? Like, yeah. Let's, let's dial it in. What, what's the outcome, you know, what, what do you all hope the outcome to be? Is it, are you all growing for dried flour? Are you growing for, you know, extraction material? What, what's, what's the goal here with the harvest? And, uh, you know, what, what kind of brought you to Kush.com in the first place with thinking about that? So this year, the focus is on bud. And uh, primarily because, 
at this point, we don't have the capital to invest in uh, extraction equipment. And we can always, you know, get somebody else to extract it for us, and, and we probably will do that as we go forward. But uh, we're pretty much done. And, and we, you know, uh, Ben and his brother, uh, being at uh, other hemp farms, we had a sense of what products worked well in the area. And so we focused on those and then branched out a little bit. And then, you know, our strategy is to branch out further and again, continue to try to find products that customers want and that, uh, you know, that we can supply them uh, with a high quality product. Right. And so mostly trying to grow for dried flour and smokable. Is that right? No, I think uh, actually uh, uh, my preference is going to uh, oils and the, and extractives and you know so so we can uh, put together tinctures, um, honey sticks, uh, gummies, uh, creams, um, pet food. So you know our objective is to expand to an, a large variety of products um, uh, from uh, from the base. But we wanted to you know basically take products all the way from the farm to the customer and be in control of that whole process so that we can control the quality and provide our customers with the best products. Right. Ben, yeah. you're, you're going to say something. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, on that note, I, I think it'll be an evolution. And so we, we, we want to develop our own brand and be able to go straight to the customer uh, a decent amount. You know, when a, when a company first starts out, we don't have the, the name recognition and we don't have the, the customer base yet to quite do that. So I think it'll be like an evolutionary process where we want to develop some relationship with some other retailers and stuff, provide them with extremely high quality products um, to, to get, develop a, like a little bit of a brand name for ourselves within that market and also get, uh, gain some capital that we can then expand into other products. And then we'll focus, I think, a lot more on developing our own brand. Right. And, and it, it's, it's a process. Building a brand in such a new industry that it's fairly competitive from the production mm -hmm. side can be a challenge. So I think, I think you guys are making the right move there by, you know, walking before you run. Um, I see a lot of people that try to do everything all at once and they do, they do everything, but you know, maybe not at the highest quality. Right. And so you all have the farm. How many acres are you, how many acres do you guys grow this year? We grew about 13. And, and did, did you all continue growing other crops or, or raising cattle or anything like that? Or was it a full transition of hemp this year? Uh, full transi transition. Wow. So we wow. have probably on the order of 30, 30 acres of marketable, pro uh, marketable land or farmable land. And we just chose to do part of it in um, hemp. But the, the other is just laying dormant, but it's, it's ready there when, it, when we need it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Ben that uh, I think really kind of um, makes me excited about this process is we have so many um, good ideas within the family. And it's been really a joy to see people blossom with their ideas. You know, Ben, Mr. Horticulture, he actually is a very talented programmer too. He's basically designed our, our webpage. Um, we got mechanical folks that help with just putting equipment together, making it work right. We've got people, people, people that know how to, you know, get people to, you know, feel good about what they're doing. And everybody is pretty open about sharing their ideas. So that's probably, you know, been the challenge for me. Somebody's got to say what we're going to do, because if not, then we'd be doing 20,000 things. So it's really great to see people put their ideas in and we kind of mush them around a little bit. And I just kind of watch it go. Because when we started, 
we were bringing plants into the barn and trying to strip them and all this stuff. And somebody said, ah, Bill, this is this is not working, man. It's it's too it's not very efficient. We we think you got to do this and this. I said, well, okay, go do it. And they go in it and it was like, wow, this works a lot better. So okay, we're gonna do it that way then. So we really evolved over time, just taking the ideas of the people that were working at the farm and, and made things better. I got to, you know, that's rewarding on any team for, for everybody to have, be able to have input and see that input turned into action. Right. But as a family, that's probably even more rewarding because it, it, there's a level of trust that you, that you have to give and there's all the family dynamics that you have to deal with. But whenever things work, it's probably really rewarding. Yeah, and everybody has a piece of it. You know, it's amazing just how small a little piece makes things work, whereas it doesn't make them work. I mean, it's, it's really, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. The details matter. And people will rise to the occasion. I think that's my favorite about it. It's like someone that's having you know, a harder time in life or maybe they're not the most motivated person. And then you put them in an environment where they, they have responsibility and they realize, you know, hey, if I do good things, good things happen to me. And you see them rise to the occasion. They work harder. I, I love seeing that. No, that that's that's got to be rewarding. I think one of the biggest things that that you that 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 have been issues in the past is whenever you don't give people enough responsibility, right? From a leadership yeah. perspective, and I'd rather give somebody the responsibility and you know have struggle, you know, struggle through it, but also then be you know committed and working hard and and get some you know personal value and growth out of it as well. So some ownership, I think, is, you know, key. And like you said, in the way your business is structured, you have that. Now, for everybody that's listening, wanting to learn a little bit more about your products, you, you, how much did you end up growing? What, what were the strains? What, what were kind of the specs there been? And uh, how, how, you know, how are you thinking about what you did this year as it relates to, you know, the plan for next year? Let's see. So the strains we grew, uh, I'll start with the CBG strains. We have white CBG or CBG white. I can never remember which order those two words go in, but it's a Crawford strain. It's pretty uh, widely known. Stem cell, which is another Crawford CBG strain. Uh, Matterhorn, which is a CBD strain. We got a Colorado, I believe, but that one was, it was a cool little variation because uh, white CBG and the stem cell were more like indica dominant. So they were uh, smaller, more stocky plants and Matterhorn was more of a sativa dominant. So it was this beautiful, tall, lanky plant um, that grew really well. And then the CBD strains, we did Berry Blossom uh, and Stormy Daniels. Um, and those, those are just very solid CBD strains. Um, and then as far as acreage, we did, I believe stem cell was the biggest acreage. And I think that one was about four, four acres or four. so. Yeah. Uh, and so we had kind of like four separate fields. We drew the CBG inside of uh, just my personal thought was our better fields. Uh, and it was really cool because we have like the smaller field that we grew white CBG in and that one just blew up. Like we were talking about with CBG, like you don't, I don't think you quite get as much weight because the buds just aren't quite as dense as the CBD strains I've noticed. Um, but we were growing, you know, two to three pound plants that were eight feet like uh, in diameter and probably nine feet tall. Like it was incredible how, how healthy those plants were. That doesn't uh, sound like too short of a stocky plant to me. Those things got pretty big then if they were short, if they were stocky by nature as well, they must've been pretty wide. Yeah, Watermark got to be 10, 12 feet tall. Yeah, it was oh, about the wow. Matterhorn like, you know, like the, the sativa type thing, they just went straight up in the air, type of Christmas tree. The nodes are kind of further apart, whereas on the white CBG, even though they were, you know, eight, ten feet, well, I think we had our biggest ones were maybe eight, eight and a half feet tall. 
but they were just they were just big circles like there's so many nodes so many buds inside there it was it was incredible we and actually got two harvests off of our cbg white plants yeah we stripped them then we let them mature a little bit longer and then we stripped them again oh uh, wow out. that's amazing yeah it's nice when you have like a small enough acreage to where you can kind of do that if we had you know 80 100 acres there's no way you just have to take everything down at one time and, and you know you you lose some of that uh i would say like the lower buds will densen up a little bit more if you wait a little bit longer uh right. the storm cell was just a solid strain it wasn't quite well in certain parts of the field we really noticed uh like uh the soil like that made like i already knew how important soil was but like the the texture and the depth that it goes down is so important because we had different areas of the field where like for instance we had one area where a barn used to sit on there and we you know tilled the heck out of it we uh we ripped it um, but it just wasn't as loose as deep down and those plants, you know, they're still good plants. I think they're four or five feet tall, but then we had a, a place farther down on the field where it's just very dark, deep soil. Um, and those plants are the same strain just kind of blew up. Um, so it was really cool to see that, uh, I'm sorry. I think I, I escaped away from the original question a little bit. Oh little no, I, I, I appreciate it. I, I imagine the root structure has to impact the height of the plant but oh, God, ben, yeah. ben what's what's on the horizon for next year as far as the 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 plants that you're planning on growing and and kind of adjustments that you're going to make based on what you learned this year uh let's see adjustments that we're going to make i think we're going to to rip certain places of the field much deeper we're going to try out some new products as far as uh, the microbiome and like trying to get the immune system of the plant a little bit healthier so we can avoid uh, we didn't have very much mold but we had a little bit of mold this year and so next year my goal is to try to get like zero mold um and so i'm going to try to do that through different um so what about strains? I forget what they call them. Strains? I mean, that's ultimately up to you. We'll see how they sell and see what people like. Uh, the best looking strains so far, I think white CBG and stem cell are, are, are ways to move forward. It'll kind of depend on legislation. Like if they keep that 0.3 total THC, it's hard to go for a lot of CBD strains. And so if we find some really good CBD strains that are high in CBD and low in THC, then, then I, I'll recommend those. But until then, I mean, like CBG is like, you know, pretty much the only safe thing to do because like even if you pass the FDA uh, test because they kind of test all the strains and they do an average, you know, if you want to do payment processing or something like that, most payment processors require that each individual product is less than 0.3% total THC. And so there's other little like hoops that you have to jump through. And then if you go over to Europe, a lot of those places are like 0.2% total THC or even 015 and so it, it'll kind of depend on which relationships we establish. And so I think it'll be really cool if we could establish some relationships through you guys, and then we could kind of cater what we grow to those relationships. Well, we're really what, excited that. Oh, go ahead, Bill. One of the strains that uh, I've been keeping my eye on is CB, CBN. I think it's for uh, weight control. Oh, yeah, the different molecule. It's a, yeah, not, yeah. It's a newer molecule coming out. No, I was just I was just on an interview with a with a gummies company that's infusing CBN and uh, seeing some really great results. But that being said, it's been a pleasure to have you all on the show, and uh, we're we're really excited to have you all on the platform. And we wouldn't be you know the platform we are without small without farmers just like you all. So, Bill so Finn from out. Sunny Ridge Farms, excited to have you on the platform. Here's some of the product. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, keep us keep us apprised on how things are going, and we will be in touch. Excited to have you on. Thanks, Chase. With you. Glad, good, glad to be here. Good luck with everything. Thank you.